And that in my mind is what it means to be human. And that is what is asked of us and is our responsibility and opportunity, each and every one of us to break our own personal asymptotes and to pursue what art is. And it doesn't matter what the medium is, but it is you pushing that limit, breaking that what you think is possible of yourself and pushing through it. And you will never get that if you think of your life as something that isn't meaningful and you think of your life as nothing but a nine to five. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Welcome to this episode of Overcome with me, Justin Wren. Today's episode is going to be excellent. It's going to be absolutely awesome. It's the one and only Sky King. He's one of my great friends. Actually, I, I, I love him in such an incredible way. I mean, he's just such a gift to me as a human being. He's a dear friend, but he is a man that has the finger on the pulse of podcasting, how it's breaking out of the matrix, I would say and how it is getting us back to our roots of human beings, storytelling societies, and not just having, I guess, clickbait or sound bites or parts of the story, but really being able to look at conversations from every angle. This dude has one of the highest functioning brains of anyone I've ever met. He is an absolute conversationalist. He's so well-rounded, so knowledgeable. And one of the things I love most about him is that he's all about making this world better. I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. His godmother is Billie Jean King, one of the best tennis players to ever do it. His dad is the one and only Larry King. I guess there's two of them, one that you've known of. And if you don't know about women's, women's pro tennis legend, Larry King, that is Sky King's father. And they just have, he starts with this just beautiful story of him and that family and some of the unique conversations that he's had. And he is a man that's helped. It really inspired me to start this podcast. I'm so grateful for him, Caroline, who he's going to marry his fiance. She's helping this podcast. And I just can't thank him enough. If you want to help this show, please review it on Spotify, on Apple. And that helps us know how to grow this show, what you'd like to hear, listen, how we can improve and how we can make this show better. Also, we're giving away some pretty great things that you will hear at the end of this podcast. So please listen all the way through because it is well, well worth it. Again, thank you for being here. You ready to do this? Let's do it, man. Sky, I'm so grateful you're here. Grateful to be here too. You're one of the best dudes I know. Thank you. And I'm not exaggerating that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It means a lot come from you. I'm, uh, I'm really excited for this episode because I didn't know that you partied with Paul McCartney. Yeah, dude. Uh, it's actually one of the most wild nights of my life. Really? Yeah. It oh, was, it's, it's gotta be. Yeah, for sure. It was when I realized- Please, honestly, please share this. I will, I will. I had to, uh, I realized I had to kind of like quit the life I was living at this point too. 
And it's a, it's a long story, but it's it's a good one. Okay. All right. So buckle up, Buttercups. As as most of my nights start, it starts with me with a bunch of my friends planning to go get ramen in Jamaica, uh, Jamaica Queens, obviously not the country. Okay. And I get a text from my godmother, and I'm like, she's like, hey, you should uh, come to a show with me tonight. And I was like, no, nah, I can't. I'm getting ramen with my friends. And she was like, no, 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 you should probably come to the show. And I was like, no, I'm getting ramen with my friends. She's like. Hey, just come to the show. I was like, fine. So like, I literally like text my homies and I say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. They go without me. They're like sending me photos. Pretty bummed. Um, I'm at my godmother's place with my godbrother. He's the man. And we're just like sitting there having a beer, chilling, looking over New York. It's beautiful. And I still don't know where we're going. And my godmother and her partner come to me and they're like, can you get us to Brooklyn Center? And I was like, yeah, they're not really good at the subway. And I was like, yeah, for sure get us down, get us to the Brooklyn Center. We come out and I just see Paul McCartney in lights. And I'm like, dope. This is going to be sick. Like they probably have great tickets. Like this is going to be a great time. So next thing we know, I'm like walking us towards the, I'm like, I'm very good at directions and like navigating things, kind of operation stuff. So I'm walking us towards the entrance. Like, no, 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 we're going in this little side entrance. And it was like, oh, this is cool. Like things are about to happen. And we go and we sit down with the, where the band's eating and we're all chilling backstage, eating the food at the band. It's all vegan, which was a downer to me, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then Paul some, McCartney's a vegan. Yeah. Paul McCartney's I, a vegan. I, I didn't know that. At least at that time he was. Okay. Uh, and so we get tapped on the shoulder and he wasn't there though. The rest of the band was like kind of the whole crew was there and they're like, he'll see you now. And I was like, <laughs> what? Who will see us now? And we, we like walk back, we walk back this little room and there's the four of us, me, my godmother, my godbrother and her partner. And we walk back through and he's there and immediately walk up to him. And I'm like, hey, my name is Sky King. And like whenever I say my name to people, they think Scott King. Paul is on it. He immediately was like, Sky, it's great to meet you. And I was like, it's great to meet you too. You know, we stand, take our little photo with him and then we go out. And I'm like, that was the one of the coolest experiences of my life. I can't believe that just happened. Thinking that's the peak of the night, right? Right. So we get brought to our seats. The seats are sick, like really, really sick, like stage level, really close. But it's super weird because the seat structure was me, my godbrother, two open seats, my godmother's partner and my godmother. And I was like, it's really strange. We couldn't get all four seats together, but whatever, like nothing can bring me down at this point. So we, uh, the show starts, they bring us this goodie bag of like all these sick Paul McCartney clothes. Um, you've probably actually seen me because I still rock okay. them a lot because like one of the shirts is super I think sick. I have seen you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I always like rock. And also like when I want to feel confident and like know like, okay, I have done it with the best of them. If, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I walk in, I'll rock that shirt a lot of times. Great. And uh, so I'm chilling there and about an hour goes by and I'm still just like, what is like the music is phenomenal. He is on fire. Homie is like 78 years old and just shreds. Like three hours nonstop, which is crushing it. We're an hour in. That inspires me. It's by amazing. The way. Yeah. It's literally it's mind boggling. 78 years old. I mean, Rocking fact it. check me. Where was he's this? in his high 70s. This is in New York and Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Like, and it gets crazier. And I don't even know exactly where his age is, but he's in his 70s, like mm -hmm. old 70s for sure. But these, these seats are still kind of fucking with me. I'm like, why are they just open? Uh, try not to let it bother me too much. Anthony and I are just singing, having a blast, like everything's going perfectly. And all of a sudden my godmother's, my godmother goes, oh, she is here. I'm like, who is she? She's like, Emma. And I'm like, Emma who? She's like, Emma Stone. 
So nice. then Emma Stone comes up and joins us with her hairdresser. And they're there for the next two hours. She's like, hang out with us, partying with us, watching the show. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? Like, this is actually insane. And I'm just playing it cool, having a blast, having a great time. And then Emma like leans over to my godmother and me and she goes, hey, do you guys want to go backstage after this? And we're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so we end up going backstage. We get up right before the show ends. The dude comes over, grabs us brings us around the stage to where they're going to exit. And we're sitting next to, we meet his wife, Nancy. We're, we're standing there next to Nancy. Paul comes off the stage. The band just like crescendos. They did like the Kanye Rihanna song. It was nice. fantastic. And she walks off the stage and all of a sudden Paul's coming down and like high five him off the show. I was like, that was incredible. Was like, oh, thanks. Come backstage. So now we're all back in their crew. It's probably like 10 of us total, mostly like the band members. And then the six of us. And I'm like, trying to not lose my shit and just ask questions and be a normal human and just have fun. And Paul's like, can I make you a margarita? I was like, yeah, for sure, dude. <laughs> and so we're like having margaritas, having wine and, you know, having, having a really good time, really good combos. Things are going well. There's this one moment where I'm standing there talking to Alana, my godmother's partner and, and Emma. And Emma goes, do you think like he'd go out with us if we asked? And that year, Emma was the highest paid actress in Hollywood. And, and Alana was like, you're like the queen right now. If you ask, I'm sure he will. So Emma goes and asks him and Paul's like, yeah, let's go. And so <laughs> he gets like three black Escalades and we all pile on these black Escalades and we go to this dive bar called Club Cummings. It's Alan Cummings bar. And Emma and, and Alan had done a musical tour together and we're really good friends and they had all been in the in this movie together and so all of a sudden we're at this very very tiny dive bar they rope off a little section from us and we just we're going at that club until about 2 a.m it really kind of crescendos for me when i look over at paul i have my drink in my hand i'm like dude this is the greatest sign of my life and he's like thanks for being here mate and i'm like what is <laughs> happening right now and like i was hanging out with alan's partner and Alan Cumming, if you guys know who don't know who that is. I don't know who he's he is. a phenomenal actor. Okay. Amazing actor. And he owns this tiny dive bar. He's a hilarious dude. Um and so his partner, he's gay, and his partner is like showing me all the hidden dicks on the paintings in the wall. <laughs> and like it's just like the most ridiculous <laughs> night ever. And then if you actually go to I think both Emma and Paul's Instagram, there's a photo of Paul and Emma and Paul wearing a shirt that says, I saw Paul McCartney in Brooklyn tonight <laughs> and they both have it on Instagram. And I took that photo and I was like, it's just like a really cool immortalization of the night. Yeah. And then, uh, Emma and I and my godparents and stuff get in another car and we take her home and say goodbye. She's like, hope to see you again. Never saw her again. Never heard from her again, but you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Caroline said like, you know, if I like had the opportunity to kiss Emma, I, I definitely should have done that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Didn't come up. It's all good though. Uh, but then the night got really, really special for me because then one of the things that I love doing the most with my, with my godmother is we will have, and she actually in her most recent book, I guess this is kind of getting too weird that I haven't said this at this point. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was going to tell you. Please, please share yeah, who your so, godmother uh, She's Billie Jean King. For those of you who don't know who that is, she uh, is one of the greatest female tennis players of all time. But of all time. Of all time. Uh, more importantly, though, like what her and my father did for women athletes, women sports, Title yeah. IX, all of that stuff, like very big changing. She, Your dad is the Larry King. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. The Larry King. And I say that because my mom uh, is so inspired by your dad, your family, uh, by your godmother. 
and everything they've done for women's tennis. <clears throat> My mom was a state champion tennis player, national champion in like barrel racing uh, for horses. But she absolutely loves, loves, loves tennis and everything your family has done for the sport. And so please go into that more. Like, what was that? Yeah. So the go more into the, the tennis aspect. Well, we'll get there. Actually, okay, go okay. back to the story. Th that's who they are. That's who they are. Yeah. And that's they're yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And really, really grateful. And one of the things my godmother and I always do, and she wrote short of us in her most recent book, actually, which is really, really special for me. But we since I was, I don't know, like 17, 18, we would just have conversations until like two or three in the morning of like how we can change the world. <clears throat> and yes. so, so in my godmother, that is, is my vibe. I yes, love that. Exactly. It's a motherfucking vibe. Let's go. Let's and, go. And so this is a 70. Now she's 78, 79, but at the time 77 year old woman who we leave the bar at 2am. We drop him off maybe like 2.30. Then she's like, let's go to a diner. So the four of us go to a diner and we're at this diner until four in the morning, having those type of conversations, mm. just deep, meaningful at some hole in the wall diner. And we walk home. I pass out on her couch for like three hours because I have a meeting on Madison Avenue about <laughs> pharmaceuticals that morning. Yeah. And I, I rock my Paul McCartney shirt to the meeting and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I got to change my fucking life because mm. that was like... I could be living something where I'm having meaningful experiences with people that I care about, talking about things that matter. And instead, I'm like trying to figure out how to get people to take cancer drugs. More importantly, trying to figure out how to get doctors to prescribe cancer drugs. And it just wasn't a vibe. For profit. For profit. Right. And so that just wasn't in alignment with me. And that was like a really, really big moment where I'm sitting across this like advertising agency trying to give like the smallest fuck about what mm. was being said yeah. and just reflecting on like how many opportunities and cool things that life can provide. Obviously I got really lucky, very privileged with like who my family is, but also just like when you're willing to say yes to certain situations and just have fun and be pure and be honest and sincere into a moment. Wow. I love that. And you're really in a stoic philosophy and I'm forgetting if it was Seneca or if it was Epictetus that said life is long if you know how to use it. And we get stuck in the grind of that nine to five and the, the corporate thing. And we get stuck in a, a cubicle or we'll, we'll lose our purpose in life because of the status quo or what we've been conditioned to do. And so you got to basically break out of the matrix from a concert, just having an epic night <clears throat> and maybe the most meaningful part of it being that epic conversation. Do you remember anything from that conversation? I don't remember a single thing from what we talked about. <laughs> I just remember this feeling, this feeling of you know, all of that cool stuff happened that night. And this was the most important moment in it. Yeah. Being able to sit there with my family, uh, with Anthony, who lives in Australia, who I don't get to see very often, but who right. took me to my first bar when I was 18 and like, uh, just absolute legend. And just to sit there with them and to, to have just meaningful, you know, intense, caring, loving conversations mm. about how we can, you know, try to make the world have a little bit less suffering, like how we mm. can try to adjust our systems. I'm very much a systems thinker yeah, uh, and very much first principle thinker. And it's like, how can we start to make the world where we can, you know, decrease the amount of suffering? Yeah. What do you think makes those kind of conversations special or what makes those meaningful? In my mind, it's it's the ability to go there. So I 
like Carolina, most people tell you, and like I think a lot of people find me uh, a bit off in the beginning, like being around me, just because like I I hate small talk. Mm -hmm. It's so boring to me. It's 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 topsoil or it's it's, uh, it's surface level. Yeah, right. It's dust bullshit, bro. Like that stuff is not even surface level. It's been just destroyed by chemicals and just plowed until it's dry. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my God, it's brutal uh, for me. One of my, I mean, I, I fall to it too, but one of the things I, I've, not that I'm frustrated with it, but one of the things that in first meeting somebody, if one of their first questions is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, well, I, and I've tried to change that a little bit. Like, I don't know, get creative and be like, ah, I put love and compassion in action. Yep. And uh, I fight for people. And like, wait, what? And just try <laughs> to like sidestep that because I can tell them fighter, podcaster, author, uh, started a nonprofit. That's my biggest passion. And and that always leads into a deeper conversation normally. But I mean, I, I don't want to ask people necessarily what they do. I want to say, who are you or, sure. or, or what what matters to you? What what do you get fucking excited about? What makes you tick? What's your purpose? Yeah. What's your passion? What's, what's really difficult about that is, it, and I don't know if you've tried, but when I've tried to adjust that question away from what do you do, people don't know how to answer yeah, because they're yeah. ready to not engage. Mm-hmm. Like we are in a disengaged thing. You're in their existence. Really, they want to be looking at their phones yeah, and or listening to that podcast or like whatever they're thinking about. And you just pull them in and they're like, what? I don't really know what to do here. Yeah. It, it can be uncomfortable. I, I see people like that. And then, you know, being in a pro sports world or whatever, sometimes you go to these things that are big, big names are there, high profile people, and they just want to know who you are or what you do to see what they can get out of you. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure coming from the family that you're in, you see people, whether it's to you or those that you love, where you know those types of people oh, yeah. that are just coming because they, yeah, I mean, you were with Paul, but it was just because you were ready to have a good time yep. and and have those real conversations because he's a real person mm-hmm. and you know that. But other people are just there to like get something from him. For sure. And that sucks. It sucks. It's it 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 happens very, very, very consistently, especially when I was working in the tennis world. Mm. My godbrother gave me the godbrother gave me the advice, Anthony, when I first started working in tennis. He was like, Don't tell anybody what your name is. Mm. He's like, Don't tell anybody who you are. And like I made it really, really far. And then I found out that like, no people knew. And it was little things would be very different, you know, like certain people would treat me super differently or, you know, women would be more talkative to me, more caring, more interested, like women tennis players too, specifically would be like, and I, and I like, oh, this is really cool. I go to an all male college. Like I I enjoy this experience, but, but it, it really starts to mess you up. And I've gotten so sensitive to the point where like, I hate asking Billy for things also because I don't want to feel like I'm leveraging her. Right. I. Like one of the few times I've basically ever asked her for anything was to be connected with Aubrey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go into that because you went to an, an all boys or all men's college, what, like a hundred guys. Uh, so it was a total of 850 dudes. Oh wow. Yeah. In middle of nowhere, Indiana. Wow. So less than a thousand, less than a thousand. Wow. Yeah. And why Brutal. do you, why do you choose to go to a school like that? So bit of middle a long of story. Yeah, for sure. Long story. So I, uh, when I was in high school, I started getting like very, very anxious and depressed and was mm. struggling a lot with, with trying to make sense of my place in the world. I was, you know, a valedictorian. I was captain of the tennis team, president of the student body. 
all the things, you know, really, really putting up a mask yeah. of who I was. Let's be honest. Checking all the boxes. Checking all the boxes. My, my mom took me to visit Harvard for the first time when I was like six. Wow. So like for me going to an Ivy League school was, it's something that I still have trouble with that I didn't do. But coming to college time, I was looking at, I'd narrowed down my top two schools to Tufts and Columbia. I just done a huge college tour during the summer. Absolutely loved them. My family, this is, so I graduated high school in 2011. My family had, my dad was very, very, very invested in real estate running up into the crash. And what that meant for me practically at the time was that like we were very cash poor, but on paper looked a lot wealthier than we were. And so I was going to get no financial aid anywhere I went. The schools I were looking at were like $70,000 a year. And I was ready to, you know, make it work. And then I got in trouble and I had to, I kind of Clinton did a bit. And I had like literally, uh, I had to step down as student body president. I had to like quit the tennis team uh, going into my senior year. And around that same time, this dude just showed up at my house, like straight up out of nowhere. And he showed up from the school called Wabash College. And he came to me and he was like, with your test scores, your leadership, your grades, who you are, you can get like a really big scholarship. It ended up being like about like a 75% scholarship, which I was going to get zero financial aid. So to have, you know, a merit-based thing, I was like, you know, what? let me check it out. So I flew out there and went and visited it. And I, I, rem I still remember I was in this classroom with probably like sophomores, I think. And they were discussing the book, A River Runs Through It. And the professor there was Professor Rosenberg. And I just read this book. So I'm you know, 18 years old talking and they're like, what do you think? And I just went off about like the metaphor and like fly fishing, all this stuff. And they engage, we get in this huge debate and we're just like going at it. And I was so amazed that these people not only were interested in what I had to say, pushed me. And I was just a student sitting in on a class that was a high school student. They didn't belittle me, didn't treat me poorly. Right. They're stoked that I was there and they wanted to hear my thoughts. And it, it was really, really empowering to be like, this is a place I can go and I can read books and I can have great discussions. And I'd realized at that point in my life that I, when I moved from Kauai to California, my parents said that you'll make new friends. And I remember at that point kind of closing down hmm the depth of, of friendship I was willing to have. And I realized this was a place I could go to become the best version of myself I can be. I can slow down time because there's not a lot going on. And I feel like time had really been speeding up. Mm. And I can start to find that fraternal bond that I thought I'd missed. Onit.com slash overcome. Wow. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Sky King. He's the man. He also helped on it with their marketing department, he still helps Aubrey Marcus and him and I both had alpha brain before we started the show. I love that. But also over my shoulder is new mood. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I love how it's relaxing, but I can take it at any time. Sometimes I take it before bed. Other times if I have a stressful day and there's any sort of anxiety coming up, which Sky and I are talking about in this episode, I take new mood and I honestly think it helps so, so much. Their new mood instant packets are great. I love their blood orange, their mango, uh, their lavender. That's the one that I drink. I think it's lavender hibiscus or uh, something with lavender in it that is really, really good. And I love new mood before I go to bed. Uh, also, Total Human. That stuff is the jam-packed on its best supplements in a morning pack and a night support. And you just take a morning support in the morning, a night support in the evening, and you're getting some of the on its best products 
all in one. I take those on all my travel. I just put that into my bag. If I'm going for a week, I take seven packs or 14 packs with me, but they're together in a day and night support. And it makes it so quick, so easy. I don't have to go through TSA with a bunch of, uh, I guess, supplement bottles, eight, nine, or 10, which did you know, if you haven't tried to take supplement bottles, they almost always stop you. If you have protein powder, if you have other supplements, they almost always stop you. At least they stop me. Maybe it's my 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 big burly self, but they always take it and they they search it for the uh, uh, the explosives. And so the night pack, they, they don't do that with a day support night pack. Some some reason, I think it's because it's not in these dark colored bottles. It's just in these quick, easy packs. Never been stopped using the total human. Anyways, those are some of my favorite supplements. You can save yourself 10% at onit.com slash overcome. And you can always try Alpha Brain, which I absolutely love. I'm jamming on it now. Again, we're back to Sky King on it.com slash overcome. Thank you for being here. That is not what a lot of 18 year olds think about, brother. <laughs> it's not. That's why I think I think that's why I wanted to have you on this podcast so bad because the conversationalist that you are, but honestly, like the the knowledge you have between your two ears, but really the 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 heart that's even bigger than that 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 gigantic brain of yours because it's rare to find someone so smart that's also so i guess change the world minded i don't i don't know if you can say it that way but you just want to make a difference and make an impact in your life and i i think from that story knowing the man that you are for context uh, Caroline, your fiance, she helps me with this show and I'm so stoked about that. And you helped me with this show, help me get it started. And, uh, y'all have both helped Amy, uh, the producer of this show, the love of my life. And, um, so I'm so grateful for you guys. And, but looking back at that story of you in the college and you 18 years old and you engaging in that conversation, it makes me think that is why you love podcasting so much. Because it's not the fluff stuff. It's not the sound bites. It's not the clickbait material. It's not what we've been conditioned and formed and molded to try to receive and, and just like consumption, 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 which you can still consume podcast, but you're learning something, you're growing, you're becoming a better version of yourself. All the opportunity is there for you. Um, so talk about that in transition a little bit of what you see podcasting as, because for me, I feel like you are a guy that has the finger on the pulse of podcast, why they're important and how it's changed, changing. It's always evolving, but how it's changed modern media um, and taken us basically back to our roots. Yes. No, w- without a doubt. And podcasting, you, you hit it on the nail. I think of Wabash College is like a, it should be a breeding ground for podcasters because my senior year, I read a book a week for this one class. It was both semesters and we had to read one book a week and we're talking like everything from like the Iliad to Murakami and so really, really thick, dense, old books, Gilgamesh, whatever, all the way to Japanese surrealism. And every week, the only thing you're graded on was a three hour all out discussion 
Wow. And they were graded critically on it. What's the movie? I'm drawing a blank. I keep thinking about it, but it's Robin Williams. And, uh, oh, Captain, my captain. Uh, yeah. Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. Seize the day. Carpe seize the day. Carpe That's the only way I've ever heard you in the phone with me is yeah. seize the day. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like uh, when I realized I needed to get the fuck out of pharmaceuticals, I started telling people seize the day at work all the time. <laughs> That's how it became my like ending because I was like, I, I, I I'm over saying bye. I'm over this stuff. I'm going to tell people like seize the day so I can remind myself to do it too. Right. So that's where that comes that. from. But uh, yeah. Wow. Well, cool. So, I mean, that's, that's the context I have of thinking of you yes. having these three hour conversations that you're getting graded on is like just, just that epic movie and seeing that scene of how that teacher was able to just stoke a fire um, and add tons of fuel in, in every student that's bringing, you know, their best. Dude, yeah, Wabash, Wabash is very much a place like Dead Poet Society. And it's interesting because it's so much in the middle of nowhere. The professors who are these phenomenal professors, they have no social life. So they hang out with the students all the time. So I get to, you know, go have... I traveled to Europe with one of... Who was still a good friend, Dr. Mikek, my professor, you know, had apple vine with him. And <laughs> we went to the European Monetary Fund and like did all this crazy stuff. And I he... It's so nuts that one time I skipped his class to hang out with Caroline when we first started dating. And instead of getting mad at me, he wrote me, he sent me poetry. Wow. He was like, enjoy this moment, <laughs> young lad. Like, I'm so happy that you found someone. Oh, it's like, it, it's a very yes. special place. What so, was his name? His name was Dr. Mikek. Dr. Dr. Mikek. Thank yeah. you so much. Dude, he's he's uh, a legend. I, is he going to be at the wedding? Oh, for sure. Oh, great. Yeah, so awesome. Out. Yeah. That's he's, epic. He's a beautiful soul. And yeah. his, his, it was funny because I was a Spanish and economics double major and his wife was Dr. Jane Hardy. And she was also one of my professors for most of it too. So cool. it was pretty cool. Uh, but to, to the podcast. So yeah. So I, I do think that podcasting is is the currently the most important medium there is today. And I'm I worry that actually it's starting to move the other direction. Okay. Move to the dark side. If okay. You will. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're just listening, he did the uh breaking uh, the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall yeah. from the office. Hopefully I can make Jim proud on that one. Yeah. Uh so we <laughs> so keep doing it please yeah well, I'll, get, I'll get a good one you know uh so to, to circle to step back a bit i was being farmed out to a different pharmaceutical company back in 2015 2016 so i was flying i ended up flying something like 70 or 80 times that year but i was going back and forth to new york every week between indianapolis new york indianapolis new york and to create the tension real quick in your soul for the listeners like you grew up in a family that wasn't wasn't taking a bunch of pharmaceuticals. Like it wasn't part of y'all's regimen. No, like I, I have taken even, even like over the counter drugs. Like I've taken Advil less than five times in my life. Wow. Like full on. See my, my, my spectrum of that is so different because I mean, my dad was prescribed a lot of different medications and we would take a carry on bag of only medication. Uh, that all pharmaceuticals, like none over the counter, basically. I mean, maybe some over the counter. And so it was second nature to, to grab Advil, Tylenol, um, anytime something hurt. Yep. And why was that, that y'all grew up? I don't way? know. You know, my mom is a nurse. Um, yeah. my dad just didn't take him when he hurt. He just didn't take it. You know, like he obviously modern medicine is amazing. We have yeah. had amazing breakthroughs. Right. Uh, you know, he had to get his prostate removed. He had prostate cancer. He obviously took drugs then, but I knew my whole life, like he just didn't take anything. He also didn't drink, didn't smoke, like 
completely just doesn't take things. And so I think I was just more sensitive to that. The other thing is uh, one of my closest friends growing up, his name was Colin. He OD'd on Oxycontin when I was 13. Ugh. So that also made me like, obviously I hadn't really taken any up until that point. So right. it was very much a familial thing, but also that made me very wary around, around that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my story, obviously opposite yeah. where that was my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, so, so you're, you're in the pharmaceutical sales marketing, marketing. Yeah. And like the, the thing that was, was, was hard for me was one, I chose the job because it was very ego based because it was the best job I could get out of the school. It was the most competitive job to get out of the school. So it was like our version of Google, basically. Right. Um, it's Eli Lilly is the company and I'm not going to talk any shit about them. Great people work there. Right. Phenomenal people work there. They set me up to be able to do what I was able to do. And I was able to really solve some interesting problems. Like some of the work I did there was global pricing related. And it was really cool to look at all of the financial healthcare systems across the world and see which ones function, which ones don't. And thinking about in the context of the US, like how we can move towards a system that's way more focused on health and preventative and all this stuff and how- Yeah, you instead know, of you, sick care, just treat you care. when you're sick. Exactly. And like yeah. start to change the incentives. Uh, one thing that's hilarious is, you know, Brigham also worked for Lily, which is like mm-hmm. pretty funny. Yeah. One of my, one of my best friends that's uh, been a guest of the, this show as well, Ways to Well. And yeah. uh friend of both of ours. But yeah, he, his whole business is about preventative, regenerative, integrative, functional medicine, keep you healthy, get you healthier than you've ever been. And yeah, they can treat you when you're sick too, but it's like, let's get you optimal, for sure. like legitimately optimal yeah. and don't treat the symptoms, but treat the root causes and make sure those symptoms don't come back. Yeah. You know, and a hundred percent, man. And I just remember this moment, uh, I was out in it was when I was working for the other pharmaceutical company. They'd kind of like ship me out there to help them with their internet marketing strategy. And there was this book and I was working in diabetes at the time. And there was this little booklet and we get taught in pharmaceuticals, we get taught all about how the pancreas functions and how diabetes happens and carbohydrates and glucose in your blood, like all of how that actually works. And the whole booklet was meant to be this thing to give patients that help them make better food decisions. And what it had nothing to do with carbohydrates. It's all calorie based. And I was like, we literally learn the opposite of this. Why are we giving them just fast food options and the calories? Wow. It was crazy. And that's when I started to realize there's like a massive disconnect. And the most, the most strange thing to me of all of it was that none of the, I I met nobody there that didn't, that was evil. Every single person I met wanted to help the patients, which is another thing that made me really, really start to think about how important incentives are and to start mm-hmm. to get to first principles here because they really did want to help people. Like, What do you mean when you say first principles? When I mean first principles is <clears throat> people can get so tactical when they start to think about what's going on. And if you can start to remove what's, what you see, start to remove all of the fluff, all the things that are going on, it's like, what is the goal that we're trying to achieve? Mm. And if you look at our current healthcare system, the fundamental principle of it, because the way it's set up is the first thing we're doing is making money. Right. Instead of making people better. Instead of, again, that's just a, that's just built on a bad system. And I'm a, I'm a capitalist, like, and I'm, I'm not like a current, how we look at capitalists. I'm very much not a corporatist, which is where I think we are today, but I am a capitalist. And I think that there is nothing wrong with making money. I actually think it makes things sustainable. But there's certain things that shouldn't be for profit. And I would say 
general healthcare is one of them. I think it's cool to have a private market on top of it. But if you want to look at really good payer systems that still have innovation, still drive innovation, and because that's the big argument for pharmaceuticals, but they still drive innovation and it really functions well. Look to Germany, look to Japan. Mm. Also look to them to how well they did with the pandemic. Yeah. Very well. Japan for sure. They both did very, very well. So it's just like neither here nor there. I also just for what it's worth, prisons should not be for profit. Yeah. That's incentivizing the wrong thing. Yeah. And even if you have the best people working there, the entire system is built to do the wrong thing. Mm. And so that's kind of getting down to it. First principle is a term that's often used in physics. And, you know, it's how Elon thinks through, oh, like one of the limiting factors, like what's the biggest limiting factor of rockets? It's like, oh, it's really expensive. And right now we have all rockets going one way. Okay. So let's suggest that if we could have rockets go there and back, there and back, there and back, save a bunch of money. Boom. SpaceX. That's the vision of SpaceX, right? Right. Reusable rockets. Uh, Okay. So I'm flying out to this pharmaceutical company and this is during the leading up to the 2016 election. And I... I'm leaving Indiana every week, and in Indiana, it seems very possible that Trump can win. And I'm going into New York, and in New York, it is impossible. Like, it's a joke. There is no way. All of the news is like, ha, 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 he's so dumb, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, it's really interesting. Like, I'm seeing these two different worlds play out, and I'm, you know, I'm not really aware of it, but it's something I think about on the flights and stuff, and then I'll go to work, do my stuff. But I also picked up podcasting because I was traveling so much listening mm. to these podcasts. And I started to notice that podcasts were saying something very, very different. And what they were saying was so much more similar to what I saw in the real world jumping between the, the middle of America and the East Coast. Growing up on the coast between California and New York, I had so much, and it's, it's embarrassing to say, but I had so much judgment, so much criticism, so much snobbery, snobbery around people who grew up in the Midwest or the South. They were, it's a flyover state. It's, you know, it was, and it's how, it's how the media treated the people who were voting for Trump. And I started to see in, by, by living in the Midwest and spending time with these people and, you know, falling in love with them literally, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized like how wrong I was in this situation and how unfair I was and like all of this stuff. And so I kind of saw this, this like narrative playing out and I started to think like, oh shit, Trump really does have a shot. And that was really, really interesting to me. This is another thing about like the first principles thinking, right? I was not, I don't really care about politics too much. I think both parties are basically the same. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me who won and who didn't win. It was more interesting to, to me to see what was reality going to become. Hmm. So when podcasts got it right more than every other piece of media, I started asking why. And I, this came down to, I started studying a lot of different old media books and I opened this book called The Brass Check. The Brass Check was written by Upton Sinclair. It was written in 1914. Upton Sinclair is famous for a book called The Jungle. This is the book that outed all of the meat industries in Chicago for just having like the most disgusting working conditions and like using like child labor and, you know, just all this horrible stuff. And then like a lot of the FDAs came out of it because it was like, yo, we probably need to know what we're putting in our body. People are getting sick. Like this is disgusting. Yeah. Huge book. People loved Upton Sinclair. He was like the liberal God at the time, if you will, until, until he wrote the brass check. Okay. (laughs) There you go. Um, Breaking the fourth wall. (laughs) Okay. I won't do it too much. Uh, In the brass check, it was a expose about the entirety of the media system. And this is back in 1914. And it's called the brass check because at the time, the way that you would get around prostitution laws is you would hand a piece of, you would, you would go to a pimp, you would hand them money, they would hand you a brass check. 
you would take that brass check and you would bring it to the prostitute. You would then receive your pleasure and then she would take the brass check, receive cash. And that way you weren't paying for sex. Huh. And he just goes through. I had no idea. Yeah. And so he just goes through. It's very similar actually with uh, how medical marijuana laws were done in California with like donation based, but that's neither here nor there. Um, And he just goes through example after example after example after example. It's 400 pages of just examples of ways that the media, the newspapers at the time, were beholden to the advertisers so much so that they would print things that weren't true, hmm. that weren't in their favor, would make up stuff. They they got to a point, and it got to a point when you like... Like nine out of 10 doctors prefer camel cigarettes. Like that. Like that's yeah. a very obvious example, right? But there, right. it goes down like very much down the list where it's very scary when you start to think about geopolitical things. The New York Times, for example, during... This is a little bit later, during World War II... Like they were printing very positive stuff about what was going on in Germany the entire time. You can still go back and find those articles. Wow. Yeah. Like positive about positive about Hitler, positive about wow. Germany the entire time. There was some financial incentive there for them to do that. And therefore they did that. New York Times is a private company. Yeah. Again, that what the that's what their incentive is. So and people ask, like, why why does it matter? Why do advertisers have so much influence? So if you just think about it this way, especially back then, you know, 1914, distribution's really difficult. It costs a lot of money to run a newspaper. If they lose a big advertiser, a title, title sponsor, that's 50, 100 people are getting fired. They're going home. Yeah. So then that's where I started connecting with podcasting where, you know, Joe Rogan has two people on his team having all of these ads. It doesn't matter what he says because if he loses a sponsor, he's cruising. Yep. He only has two people on his team, you know, you can figure it out for a bit. Yep. But when you're Washington Post, when you don't have that high leverage, you can have so, you're so susceptible to the influence of advertisers. Right. And like some of the stories are of it are crazy. And this is where it's bad with like Bezos owning Washington Post and stuff. Is like there's the dude who uh, Hirsch he like I think it was the Hirsch guy, uh, William Randolph Hirsch. He owned a bunch of bunch of newspapers across the the U.S. It was like something like 50 newspapers, and he had bought a bunch of land right on the California Mexico border on the other side of of Mexico, of the border. And so he wanted that land to be worth more money. And so he decided that he was just going to print on all 50 of his major newspapers across the globe, across the US, Mexico, small letters, might be like at war with the United States. Wow. To try and trigger a global event where we went to war because Mexico gets freaked out, defensive, create this hostility so that we can just go take it. Wow. Like that legitimately that kind of happened. And, and, and that's wow. crazy, right? That's, that's crazy. crazy. Um, and then, so when you go to the 2016 election, a lot of people don't really remember this for some reason, but Trump's primary, the entire thing he won without having to fundraise, like it was profitable up until him running against Hillary. And it was because the left wing media gave him free publicity throughout the entire thing. They took everything he said, they called him a dumbass, they angered liberals, and so people watched more and watched more, got higher ratings, higher ratings, they got more stoked, they wanted him, they needed him, they kept pushing him, kept pushing him, and that led to They're him getting paid more by their advertisers. They got paid more by their advertisers. Wow. And this is where the outcome that they wanted was not the outcome that they got. Because again, back to the first principle of it, their outcome was to make money, not to get their politics correct. Huh. 
And so that that's, was just like wild a, a, to think about. Yeah. Big wake up moment for me. And that's what really started me down into podcasting. Can you also talk about the Stoa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of where, I mean, long form conversations, it's in our DNA. I mean, I know that living with, oh, I was going to tell you a quick story about the New York yeah, Times. Yeah. And then also, you know, the pygmy people that I lived with, they, they are a storytelling society. All of us are, mm. but that's how they pass their history yep. and their culture. And they'll tell these incredible, I mean, we called it campfire university mm. where the pygmy people took us to school and taught us about life and would tell us these incredible Swahili or, or, or Mabuti pygmy uh, proverbs. And I loved it. And well, the crazy thing about the New York Times is that back in 1902 to 1906, if Amy was here, I'd have her pull it up. But 1902 to 1906, they went, uh, an American explorer went to the Congo, to the Ituri rainforest where I, I had the opportunity to live. And they basically bought a man. They A lot of them were slaughtered. Terrible. But they bought a, a Mabuti Pygmy man for uh, like half a spool of brass wire and like a bag of salt. Maybe it was two bags of salt. They bought his life, brought him back, put him in the St. Louis World Fair for two years from 1902 to 1904. And he toured around in the freak show. 1904 to 1906, they put him in the Bronx Zoo and they put him in the monkey house and they fed him bananas with the monkeys. And they said that he was half man, half animal, basically like evolution that he was transitioning from like monkey to man. They also held him down, used a machete with a stone on the back of it to sharpen his teeth, to make him look more savage. And now there is part of their culture that, that uh, it's beautification for the women in the tribe where, where some cultures in Congo, they'll, uh, at least of the pygmy people, they'll sharpen their teeth. I think also in Cameroon or Gabon or Gabon and they'll sharpen their teeth for the women. That's a feminine thing. And it actually is beautiful. I mean, like if you know the context, know like it's, it's, it's pretty dope. Uh, they'll have tattoos off these sharpened teeth, but they did it to him basically emasculating him almost basically metaphorically like castrating him. Mm -hmm and calling him an animal and feeding him bananas and taking him from his home and enslaving him and putting him on show or, uh, and the New York times printed on the front page. His name was Ota Binga, O T A B E N G A for anyone that wants to look him up. And, uh, Ota Binga, the pygmy in the zoo breaks all time Bronx zoo, like attendance records. Uh, for like the first week or two he was there, I think they broke over 50,000 people uh, buying tickets a day just to come see him and throw bananas at him. And whenever he was finally released, because there were some civil rights activists that got him some out of there, humans. some decent <laughs> humans, it was an African-American uh, pastor, preacher that advocated on his behalf. And um, anyway, somehow he got either a security guard's gun or, or someone that he was staying with. I, I forget the whole story, but he grabbed a gun, knew he wasn't going to be able to go back home. No one was going to take him. He d couldn't even communicate with anyone. And he grabbed a gun and uh, shot himself and killed himself. And, uh, it's crazy. I remember before I went and lived there for a year, um, I saw that story 
And I, I literally like teared up reading it and it was just like, whoa, like that was a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of that, some of that stuff that we've impressed upon them, the imperialism or colonialism, like, uh, they're, they're kind of stuck in that still with like thinking that they're half man, half animal, they're subhuman, they're, mm-hmm. um, almost less than live like animals. They are animals and, and crazy, crazy stuff. But it's crazy to see that that was on the front cover of the New York times. Yeah, man. And, uh, they ran plenty of stories you can still go find those, see those. And it's just wild to see what, what media will do and, um, almost the lows that they'll go to just so that they'll get more views, more clicks, more, more newspaper buys, more clicks for advertising. And I, I really like that podcast is, is changing the game. For sure, man. It is, it is wild because like that, that specific media outlet like puts up billboards that just say truth in their yeah. logo because that's mm. what they like think they are. And it sucks because again, thinking back to the first principle, like they are, their entire business model is built for growth. It must grow every quarter. Must grow or they die. It must grow or they die. It must have people more anxious, more desiring to buy things. Mm more people looking to consume to make themselves feel better. Yeah. Which is something that we don't need or want our sense-making infrastructure. Because the collective reality that we usually live in as humans, it's usually off of outside, a little bit outside, abstracted from like the physical laws. We have this cultural network of things that we assume to be true. And we have outsourced our ability to think about that because we're not all around a campfire all the time, mm. you know, consulting, debating, yeah. talking. We've outsourced that to this for-profit company that's not only for-profit, which again, I don't think is a bad thing and I actually think media can be for-profit, but whose actual goal isn't to provide news, but to take your attention and Trojan horse it to a supplement company or to a pharmaceutical company or to a dog bed company or to things that you don't really necessarily need or want. Yeah. It's not, not the system that I think we deserve. So the better system, better system. And uh, so comparing the campfire to the stoa for yes. people that don't know what that is. Yeah, so the stoa, the uh painted stoa in Athens. This is where Zeno, the first stoic, he would go and he started building his philosophy. So he would just go to the stoa and he would start speaking and teaching, teaching this concept of 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 pragmatism, of temperance. It's it's hard to like go deep into Stoic philosophy because there are, you know, the four virtues of Stoicism and whatnot. But but his people that would sit there and listen as he told these stories, expanded on this thought, worked through it, worked through it with them. They were called the Stoics because they sat in front of the Stoa. So this Stoa became the place where people would learn, seek truth from power. And that is where I see today podcasts are the modern stoa. Mm. They are the place where people come to learn, to have long, endearing, thoughtful conversations and to, to, to really better themselves. And it's, it's really interesting because one thing that was super exciting about Athens was, at least during this time period, was the, the prevailing sport was, was thinking. Mm. It was asking those questions. There was like all these different schools of philosophy popping up. 
Right. And people were debating and figuring out which school was better. It was like dojos, you know? Wow. It reminds me of like a, a Musashi quote, uh, which I'll, I'll just paraphrase. I'm not great at quoting things, but... Who was a master swordsman, right? Yes. Japanese, greatest swordsman of all time in Japan. Yeah, over know. 400 victories Insane or something like that. amount of victories. Over 400. And these were like victories to the death yes. until he changed like a wooden sword against his opponents that had like He still killed people with kill the wooden sword. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. Still <laughs> killed people with the wooden sword. But he, he said something like, I do not learn the sword to better my technique. I learn to learn the way of the sword. The sword is just my means of answering life's problems. Hmm. And it, it wasn't the idea that like, oh, cool. So you just go around and kill people to like solve your problems. Like, no, 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 no. It became the discipline that he tried. It became his art form, the thing that he was at the edge of the ability for him to go deep on, to compete on, to get better on, to hone every single day, to learn from the mountains and the universe and all of nature, to build his talent and to ask what it means to be human. Mm. And, and what's cool about Athens, it's like the first time, at least in the history that we have recorded and are aware of, where the question to do that wasn't abstracted. So yeah, you can learn that just by sword fighting all day or learning calligraphy and just going really deep into a subject. But they actually tackled it head on and, and competed around this, what are life's questions and open dialogued it. And you know, both ways are valid, but I think that's very, very cool. And it's something that if we, if we can create the proper climate, we can have that right now. Mm. And I think there's, we should be in the greatest period of history ever how networked we are, how much opportunity we have, how much technology we have at our fingertips. We should be in a place where it is the Victorian age. You know, in the Victorian age, there are like 50 Elon Musk. We should be having thousands. We have access to 7 billion people. There are billions of people with smartphones. We can all interact and think together. And instead, the system that we have right now, we have the greatest minds of our generation going and building fucking ad tech for Facebook. Because they got the best jobs they could at Google and Facebook to build ad technology. The smartest people in the world, that was their job out of high school, out of college, building advertising technology. And then we, because through this model, we have, instead of having this opportunity for debates that podcasts have blown up to be and what we've seen during coronaviruses, they've just become the next dog and pony show that can be attacked and destroyed and said, bad, you're a bad person, as opposed to having this dialogue into like try and make sense and to use this as an opportunity for true sense making to truly understand what it means to be human yeah and like it's like it's this call to athens again it's call to that debate i love that i love that i i i really want to i mean i'm learning i'm growing this is a new show um but i i truly want to have just incredible people on that I can boost their signal, share their powerful story of overcoming, um, and how, you know, we all have overcome our darkest days, like a hundred percent of our darkest days. Now we get to go out and shine our light or share our love with the world and make it better. And so I'm, I'm really stoked about this opportunity to have with podcasting. I've been a guest on, a lot of the big ones and to the be biggest. able, yeah, the biggest. And so thankful for, for who we're talking about now, Joe Rogan for having me on to boost my signal. So grateful for him and, and, and how he'll have these conversations that are real, you know, and he'll ask the questions from a lot of different angles and, uh, and he's just a student of life. And I think that that is what 
I want to be and why I wanted to start this conversation is because it's like, oh man, if I can learn something and then I can hopefully invite other people in to learn something too, and then we can take that knowledge and transform it into action to that, that, that does something meaningful that matters. Like that's, yeah, it changes the world, man. Uh, I want to get into some of your story of overcoming some of the things that you've uh, faced and, and that have been challenging uh, and where you've gotten. But before that, there was one thing really interesting and you talked about, or you can talk about the importance of regeneration as a principle of the universe. Yeah. Okay. So still on changing the world. Yes, for sure. So I got obsessed with Buckminster Fuller like five years ago for those. I don't even know who that oh is. I need to start God, reading some more books. Dude. Critical path. If, if, okay, this is the one book recommendation that I will make to everybody and nobody will read and you'll regret it for the rest of your life for not reading this and not know it because people don't read it because it's a bit hard to read, but it is so worth it. And actually, I dropped a podcast on this where I break down a lot of the thoughts in just a quick 45 minutes. Where so can people find it? You can find it skmp.supercast.com. So skmp, Sky King's Mental Playground.supercast.com. So I can save you some time on it. Um, but if we go back to first principles, within the universe, there's this idea that energy can't be created or destroyed. So then apply that to like, what does that mean? So that's what regeneration is. It's that input becomes output, becomes input, becomes output, becomes input, becomes output. It's a constant cycle. So if we start to think about what that actually looks like, have you ever thought about like, what is fire? Uh, I've been around a lot of fire. Been around a fire pit, right? And you, yeah. see, you see fire pits, right? Yeah. So Bucky really breaks it down in this most beautiful way. And I wish I could pull this whole quote out of my ass. It's like sure. a page long quote, but essentially he's talking to children and he always says, look to the wisdom of children. And when he means by that, he's like, listen to their questions because children have not been just secularized and separated into all these strange, like distorted ways. And they ask mm. honest questions. And if we, when we talk about education, if we could actually educate people that every human on earth could answer the questions of children comprehensively, we would be in an educated world. Mm. And so a young boy sitting around a fire one time says, what is fire? And Bucky says, fire is the sun's energy unwinding from a log. The sun sends down rays. Through photosynthesis, it's captured. That energy and photosynthesis is then creating these bio cells. And as the sun rotates around the earth, so the tree rotates around and is encoding this energy into these small carbon-based bio cells. Each one of those, after 365 days, does a full circle. That becomes the ring of a log. And each time, and each day, and each sun that's going around, it's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and raveling up and raveling up. And it's storing that energy. A tree is nothing more than a battery. It is something that has stored the sun's energy, turned it into something to harness, and is used for life. Mm. We can then take that tree and we can take its also life energy, eat nutrients from it, or we can burn it. And in burning that, we are unraveling all of the millennia of the energy of the sun that the tree has been able to consume. And if you look closely, you can see little pops mm. that represent a long forgotten extra hot sunny day. 
Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty dope. It's wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we breathe from that tree, and we breathe, like, and they're doing all these different like chemical processes and he really breaks it down. Yeah. And it becomes a playground for the, the kiddos I lived around, which was just epic to see them creating, uh, whether it was, uh, well, these incredible uh, swings uh, in the trees, it became their playground, the forest, but also they would, from rubber trees, they would make uh, uh, slingshots, but from like raw rubber. And uh, I brought some of those back and the rubber kind of like disintegrates and stuff, but because um, it's not processed or whatever, but it's it's so cool to think what what the universe gives us to live, breathe, survive, create, stay warm in the cold, to be to create shelter when it is it's it's cold or hot or rainy or whatever. But I think we're meant to be more in nature than we are today, without a doubt. And I actually think the way that we need to be building technology is not to. And actually, Musashi talks about this as well. We're not. We should not like. I had a tweet about this the other day, and it was the past fought nature. The current ignores nature. The future technology will transcend nature. So like Ooh. we actually need to be looking to nature to understand how we interact with it. And we need to be in flow with the universe. And this is where it goes down to being in a regenerative system. Because when we pull things out of nature, so it's say like a septic tank, for example, or if we you know put all of our cattle in one place mm. and don't just let it go with the flow of nature, we are distorting the regenerative principles. We aren't allowing things to go as they should. So I have this working conspiracy theory that the universe will only put up with us acting, acting out of alignment for so long before it'll just flick us off. Mm. You know, it's like, bye-bye. And the world will continue onward. And so it is our job. What does it do? It normally does it every like 200,000 years anyways or something. Literally. Right? No, I, I honestly think that's what it does. And it's like, if we can actually start to design and have, like, in the past we have needed because we didn't have this ability to all communicate and to all sense make together. And this kind of all pulls together. We needed political economic structures. I don't think we need those as much anymore. What we need now is a design evolution, a design revolution to try and figure out how we can design stuff to be regenerative in a way that it is in alignment with the natural way nature does things. Because that technology is so much smarter than anything we can build. And so we should model it mm. and learn from it. And then we can, it'll help us transcend it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just think it's epic to talk with you, man. This is great. Fightfortheforgotten.org. I am so grateful to have been able to be the founder of this organization that I personally love and endorse and am a part of. I'm just, I feel absolutely lucky, fortunate, grateful. I think it saved my life. Fight for the forgotten. And honestly, the people that we serve, the people that we help, saved my life. I get to help them. You get to help them. We get to help them, but they've helped me in such a deep and meaningful way. Fightfortheforgotten.org. We've had donors from all 50 states and 60 different countries, over 10,000 people. And we are inviting you in to be part of that change, to be able to defeat hate with love, to defend the weak, love the unloved, to empower the voiceless. We're drilling wells, we're building homes, we're starting farms. And right now we're getting excited because we're going to build a school and a health center. We're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, a dental suite. We're going to have an ER. We're treating waterborne disease and malaria, the two top killers. And we're also going to decrease the child and mother mortality rate during labor. And we're so excited in our marketplace. We're building alongside the school. We're going to be raising goats, uh, uh, raising honey or bees, beekeeping. 
and uh, we're replanting over 11,000 trees in Uganda. Also, our Heroes in Waiting, that is a bullying prevention program here stateside, and we'd be so grateful if you would join our fight club. That's at fightfortheforgotten.org, and if you hit give, you will then see a button called the Fight Club. That's where you can give $5 a month, $25 a month, $50 or $100, whatever you want. And if we had an army empowering us to do that, we would know our budget, we could grow, and we could make more hires for people that are boots on the ground, being the change in their own community, where we get to educate them with the knowledge, equip them with the tools, and empower them to be the change. That's what it's all about, to put love and compassion in action. So please consider that by going to fightfortheforgotten.org. In this show, we support Fight for the Forgotten. Thank you to our sponsors because we get to give back from that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting the organization that probably saved my life and the people that saved my life that gave me so much purpose and passion. Now, back to the show. Like you and I have related in in ways because, you know, we, we I mean, we just ate ramen and it was epic, but we also talked about like, I had a couple of tough weeks, you had a tough week. Um, and I think for someone that has such a bright mind like you, that's such a deep thinker, quick thinker, and can communicate all that. Like, I think there's those, there's, there's struggles that everybody has. And for me, it might be that I feel like I'm not enough or that, um, you know, I might have fear of embarrassment by putting myself out there. And then if it backfires, like feeling embarrassed and fear of man, what people think, or just that I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. and, or just a lot of shame around my struggle when it comes to addiction and, um, other things. I, I, I remember I listened to you and Amy's podcast, uh, the Amy Edwards show. I'll plug that real quick. Cause you did great on there. And, uh, you know, Amy was 48 at the time and, uh, she was like, wow, Sky, you've done so much for your age. I think you were 28 at the time then. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't feel like I've done enough. <laughs> and she's like, what? Like, and I, I, I guess I'm, I'm setting that up because, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you've struggled with and how do you overcome those? When, what does the word overcome mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I started, I would say things started getting like really, really bad for me when I was around 17. I, uh, it was around the time, you know, experimenting with alcohol for the first time. Um, and I got to this place where I got to a place where I was wishing that I felt bad because I felt nothing. Mm. And I was very ready to kill myself. And I, was you know thinking about it all the time it became something to where even me doing the smallest thing wrong like you know like leaving a door open and like not that anybody would get mad at me for that but just like i would be mad at myself and it would just spiral immediately to i just don't deserve to live i shouldn't be alive i shouldn't be alive like, there's no fu- there's no point to this like i'm done um and it was it was got really bad for like quite a few months where I just couldn't find it wasn't and it was like when people talk about depression my experience with it has been something where it was so intensely numb 
that I just wanted to feel. Yeah. And that was really, really scary. And it scared my parents. It scared my friends. And it was, I remember writing a bunch of stories about it. And I, I remember that I, the whole time I was feeling that the one thing I did always feel was guilty. And I felt guilty because my parents treated me so well. My friends loved me. I was popular. I was like, things were going well, blah, 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 blah. And yet I couldn't be happy. And I felt like such a piece of shit for that. And it's really interesting because I think I have this idea of like suburban moms. They really like are afraid of their kids listening to like rap culture and like they're going to think about drugs and alcohol. And I was like just reading Hemingway a lot and mm. getting really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> but and I don't like it. I had a crescendoing moment with that. And I, you know, talked to my parents and I went to a therapist and the therapist didn't help at all. Again, I felt like I felt guilty for talking to them. I felt guilty that I wanted to kill myself. Or even maybe even guilty just to be there. To be that there. That you need therapy. That I need that therapy. You have to go to therapy. And, and I felt like the the I felt like the I felt like the therapist was sitting there judging me like you're a fraud. You don't need this. I'm wasting my time on you. Mm. It was very strange. And at the same time, I had my little cousin who also unfortunately OD'd. Um, but he had like a really rough childhood. He lived with me. Uh, he was adopted from Bolivia, and his dad stabbed him in the face, left him to die. Oh my goodness! Um, so he had a bunch of shit. And yeah. so, like, I would go after my cousin went, and like, I always just felt like I needed to be a leader for him. I, like, why am I at this same therapist? Like, he, what it, what struggles have I had? And it was it was a very dark and difficult time. And coming coming out of that, I can't honestly. I don't really remember where the transition happened. I do remember where I started changing my habits. And like, it was getting to a point where like, I wouldn't wake up for school. My dad had to drive my sister to school. And we went to the same school in like 30 minutes away. Cause I just wouldn't go. I was just like, not, not doing anything anymore. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if I started getting more sun or what happened. Like it started shifting a bit and I started realizing that there were things I could do that would circumvent my depression, like natural things. So things like cold water, like that was when I started, you know, growing up in the Lake Tahoe area would go and like jump in like lakes and rivers and like that, then I'd feel alive again. Yeah. I'd feel like, um, oh, I'm, I'm here again. Like I'm alive. I would start list. I changed all of my music from like yeah. super depressing to like modest Yahoo. I started yeah, like, dreaming. dude, I love modest dude, Yahoo. Oh I listened God. to him on repeat him, yes. Trevor Hall. Those two. Bro. Uh, yeah. Like, yes. Uh, that was my music in Congo. Yes. Uh, dude. And before and after. Yeah. I was essentially changing my vibration, like what mm. I was receiving, right? Like just changing. And that was, that was luckily I wasn't as severe. Luckily I was at the scale where that was at least enough for me to realize that I had power over this a little bit, even though it really had me, but I could, I could be empowered in certain ways. And and I started just kept kept doing that and kept doing that. And, and it got to a point, honestly, man, where it probably went like five years where I hadn't thought about killing myself. And I got to a point where I couldn't even empathize with the idea that I once had done that. I'd gotten so far removed from it. But unfortunately, during that time, I started battling with like really intense anxiety. And when I say that, it was a thing where there was one summer after my sophomore year in college where my heart rate wouldn't go below 100. I was just sitting there rocking 100 even when I was sitting and my mom brought me to one of her friends who was a cardiologist, but who was very, 
uh, into meditation. And she helped me like learn to calm my mind a bit. And, and from that, would you see your heart rate go down? Oh yeah. That was like the first time was like, cause I tried meditating by myself, but she did guided meditation with me and she had me hooked up to stuff while she did it. And that was like the first time it actually started to start like, chill out. you could see it measurable. Measurable. It's going down. Yeah. You feel it, but then you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, I also don't grew up not sleeping like basically much at all. Uh, almost like notorious for it where like in my preschool, the, even when I was a little kid, like my parents t- would just tell me like, come like when I was two or three, they'd say, okay, just come to bed whenever you're ready. And I would just stay up watching TV until like four in the morning. Um, whereas most parents like put their kids to bed at like seven <laughs> um, right. and I would just come in and that was what I would do. And like at, at nursery or whatever, like I wouldn't sleep. They would just, uh, they would just take me away from the rest of the kids and talk to me the entire time. I couldn't fall asleep. I was like scared to fall asleep. And, and that really, really picked up to where like I had never, never slept well. And there were times in my life where that would start to get really, really bad where I'd go, you know, a day without sleeping very often. And it was often because I was having these panic attacks where I couldn't think clearly and they would last for days. So even like going into, and so that was like, it was weird, like phased out of depression and went straight into this like very manic, anxious state. And luckily I found meditation, found, you know, continuing to exercise like a lot of the same stuff and thought I had it under control until right after I graduated. It was actually when I was studying abroad in Spain. I remember having the first most brutal panic attack I've ever had. I 100% thought I was dying. I was sitting on this beach with um, with my friend Evan and I was like, I have no idea. I have to go to the hospital. I have no idea what's going on. My whole body was tingling. Everything was shaking. And I just, again, didn't sleep for multiple days. And I was just like, like, I'm losing it. This is it. Like, I guess I don't know what to do. And if, if you've, was it hard to breathe, hard to breathe, it's, it's really hard to explain that the, 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 like it's, it's the closest thing I can experience, I think to hell, because it, it just feels everything in my body is so in panic. The, I would just start sprinting. I would just start running. And my friends were like, where are you going? Like, I have to, I have to sprint. I have to run away. And it started getting really bad to like, right when I was working at Lily and very much out of alignment, I think in a lot of my things where it was happening every single Sunday usually after like parting from Friday and Saturday night, every single Sunday, I then wouldn't sleep into Sunday going into Monday. I'd be having literally out of my mind, barely make it to work, just freaking the fuck out, trying to stabilize in some certain way. And then, and it just, it got super brutal. And it really, that big crescendo for me was when I flew down here to Austin to come interview with Aubrey for the first time, I came a few days early and I actually was up for three days straight having a panic attack, not able to sleep. To me, it was like, oh my God, how is this happening right now? This is a huge moment for me to like take this Salto mortality, this leap of faith to be able to do this. And I remember just sitting at Barton, like meditating before meeting with Aubrey and it's raining after having like literally not slept for like, it was on a Monday. I hadn't slept since Friday night and wow. I fell asleep Friday night, woke up at 2 a.m. And it's just been, was just literally crazy. Like I couldn't even sit in the apartment. I had to go, I was running around 6th Street, going on runs to try and calm down around six street, like four in the morning. You know, I don't, I don't think maybe for some people that would sound strange. And the times that I've had anxiety, I don't, I don't think I've thought about going on runs, but I have thought about going working out. And when you say run, I mean, we are, we're, we're human beings, but we are, I mean, we're a mammal and that is something that animals do when they have anxiety mm-hmm. or fear is they, whenever they distinguish a threat, they run. Yep. 
I mean, uh, an antelope or a deer. And after they escape its prey, they shake. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to get out that that trauma or that fear. And I mean, going to treatment these times, really learning that um, one of the guests I might have on my show, uh, a guy named Matt Stagg is going to maybe connect me with him. And he, he helps Joe get his guest. Matt's been incredible. He helped me get Daniele Bolelli. And uh, uh, I, he says, his book is the body keeps the score mm. and I'm forgetting the author's name. Yeah. Dude, I wish I remembered. Yeah. yeah. But the body keeps the score and it's like these micro traumas or these times of anxiety, even if it's just in our mind or whatever it is, it's real yep. and it stays in our body unless we have a way to get it out yeah. or a way meditation or running or cold. You talking about being in Lake Tahoe and and jumping in the lake or the rivers and all that other stuff. It's like, yes, there's been times I've had cravings for for drugs. There's been times I've had anxiety, I've had fear, and I've, my body's had a response. And I go and I get in the Morosco Forge or the ice bath, and I get out and I feel infinitely better. Yeah, infinitely better. It's like I could head it off. Mm-hmm. Um. Probably should have done it today, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I feel great, but, uh, there was this little dip in the day and I felt prompted to do it. And sometimes you don't want to get cold. <laughs> I felt the same way today, dude. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, we can head up the ice anytime, man. Yeah. Come over okay. or we'll go to Barton Springs. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean to take away or detract from your story, but like, like having these tools and you getting to come down and experience them. I know you have a, a pretty special moment that you were having, what, 75 maybe major panic attacks a year. And then you came to Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was, yeah, probably, probably close to a hundred, hundred a year Wow. for, it was like a two year time. And you did. So when I like, when I really, what is it every three or four days? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I, when I reflect on those times and I like talk to Caroline about it, I'm just like, how could I put myself through that every week? and think it was normal. Like how, how, mm. how, how could I not see the patterns that were leading me there and, and put, drive myself to insanity on the weekly and then expect to like be living a life that was meaningful in any way. Be- because like when, when that lion's chasing you, cause like, yeah, that instinct of wrong, it was pure, pure fight or flight. Like it was, something was there. Like it wasn't logical in any sh- way, shape or form. I just needed to get out. I had to run. I just had to like, that was the only way I could say from just like, not just exploding in my brain. Like not just feeling like it was all going to melt down and just absolutely losing it. And it was just mind boggling to me to think that like I, I do that. And I know a lot of people do that like right out of college. I think our, our college culture is very much like a party hard Friday, Saturday. And then they, it's like colloquially the term Sunday scaries. Like, ha ha I have Sunday scaries. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. love yourself a bit, bro. Like that is sure. not the thing that is meant to be occurring. Like you deserve so much more than that. Um, so yeah, I, I then came to Austin and it felt like I was stepping deep into alignment. And it was just that, like, even if I kept up some of the same habits that I think really helped me, the fact that I'd shifted my life from a place where it was there to a place where I was doing the things I wanted to be, being around the people I wanted to be. I had taken this massive leap of faith where I had quit this big boy job to go make smoothies at the Onnit gym. And I was actually living, starting down the path of alignment. And that really, really helped a lot. And things, you know, reduced to like maybe having one a year. 
like maybe two. And then even in, in the last few months, like from a hundred a year to one to two per year. Yeah. And it was like two orders of magnitude, like full on, like it was nuts. Yeah. That's incredible. Just by changing your habits, the way that you're living your life, the relationships, being honest with myself, being honest with yourself. I mean, that's powerful. And, and for those listening that don't know that we're talking about Aubrey Marcus, the founder of, uh, of on it mm-hmm. sponsor of the show, which I'm so incredibly grateful for. Ooh, get your uh, on it guys. Yeah. Get yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Get on it. It's uh, I had alpha brain right before this, uh, knew I was going to have to level up to, to hang with sky. But, um, I mean, that's a big change you. And what's so crazy is you're getting paid more. You're doing what society tells you. Uh, you are doing the nine to five. You're, you're and not saying that that's inherently bad, but for you, it didn't sit right. And so you took this huge leap of faith to literally make smoothies at on it um, because you wanted a shot at a better life or a more fulfilling life. More fulfilling, yeah. yeah Which is infinitely better. Infinitely if it's more better. fulfilling, if you're not fulfilled where you are, if you feel empty, purposeless, it, that, that might make you feel like what you were describing. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing here on this earth? Yeah. If you're stuck in the hamster wheel Mm -hmm. where you don't have deep relationships, where you don't have something you love that you're doing, you, I, you, I've had those moments where it's like, what am I even doing? Yeah. I think, I think that, I think the thing that separates humans and animals is very similar to the thing that separates art and propaganda. Huh. And how I think about it is art is created when you are at the edge of being human. And so to, to break that down a little bit into like two very similar but different things, I like to think about my favorite book. It's called Dune. Uh, are you familiar with it? No. Okay. It's a sci-fi book. It's okay. phenomenal. It's the... Uh, Wasn't it in a, made into a movie? It just was made into a movie recently. Okay. Really great score in that movie. Um, Hans Zimmer is, a, is absolute savage. <laughs> But but in I it, listen to his stuff on fight day, dude. I bet, man. Probably yeah. he's so zoned in. Yeah, I wake up and I have uh, time. Oh my from inception. god, dude! I, I play that when I wake up to my alarm clock. I, I just start my playlist and it's time, and I lay there and I visualize and I let it play at least three times, maybe mm. four. So it's like an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I think time is only like five to seven minutes. Okay, okay. And uh, but I'll I'll just sit there and I start. I, it's like it's warrior day. It's, we're going to war, yeah. and uh, and I just visualize what I'm doing, how I'm going to be, and I'll even. I think I listen to it maybe three, four times. Then I listen to it one more time in the shower, and then I let it play the playlist. Mm. But I and, and water to me having the water run over my body. Yeah. Uh, while I'm in the shower and I start with a cold, um, actually I start with warm, then I go cold. Uh, but I, yeah, it just does something for me. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to watch Dune. Maybe I have to read the book. I would highly recommend reading the book and watching the movie. Both are good. Honestly, the movie won't ruin the book. (laughs) So it doesn't, you don't get a lot out of the free, because it's part, it's part one, part two, and this is part one of the movie. You don't get a lot out of it, but it's fucking beautiful. Um, but, but in it, there's this thing called the gom jabbar. And the Gom Jabbar is a test. And it's a test between if you're a human or if you're an animal. What, what in philosophy we like to call this like a person or an animal. I like to think about it as like capital H human. Huh. And uh, 
And so in the scene, it's, it's epic. So Paul, the main character, he goes up into it and there's this lady, this Bene Gesserit witch, and she is basically like the queen of her population of people who are these kind of like the shadow puppets of the war of the universe. And she's testing him and he says, she's, he's like, what is that? She was like, it's the Gom Jabbar. I need to test if you're a human or an animal. And she's like, stick your hand in it. She's like, what's inside of it? And he, she's like, pain. Mm. And so he sticks his hand in it. It starts to hurt. And she says, I now have next to you the other half of the Gom Jabbar. It's a deadly poison. No matter how bad the pain gets, if you remove your hand, I will stab into your neck and you will be dead within seconds. So you have a choice. You can endure the pain or you can die. And then she says, an animal will cut, eat off its own leg when it's stuck in a trap and will die. But a human will sit in the pain, feign death, and when the person comes to take them, will kill that person and walk away. And it is this ability to think in second or third order consequences that they believe makes us human. So I combine that with something that Yuval Noah Harari talked about a lot in Sapiens, which was what differentiated Homo sapiens from the other homos. And, you know, if you want to take that out of context, I love gay people, <laughs> but I'm talking about Homo sapiens. Y'all chill out. Um, what differentiated Homo sapiens was their ability to imagine something that didn't exist. It was almost their ability to lie or tell stories, but it was to imagine something that didn't exist. So imagine like, oh, I saw a water buffalo come back there yesterday. Or I saw it there yesterday. I imagine it'll come back today. That ability to do that. And then imagine what they would do in that situation. So when you can combine those two things, which is the ability to endure for a second order consequence. So again, first order consequence is, uh, I don't want pain, but I definitely don't want death. So to be able to think in that second order consequence, tying it in with, I can imagine something that doesn't exist. That is something that allows us to get past our, like our, do you know what an asymptote is? No. So it's essentially thought about like when you have a graph that's for all people listening, just an X, Y graph. An asymptote is something that gets as close as it can to a point on the graph. So let's just call it zero, but it never touches zero. And there's an infinite numbers between zero and one, right? You can divide. So if you divide one and half, it's half, but you can divide it infinitely. It's where this like, idea of like some infinities are bigger than other infinities because there's an infinite numbers between one and zero. So the line can always get smaller. It can always approach zero, but never get there. And a lot of animals are limited by that like asymptote by that mental asymptote. Like a dog, no matter how hard you fucking try, will never see itself in the mirror. Like you just yeah. can't get it because it doesn't have the context. <laughs> I tried to do that last night with Tipsy. <laughs> it just, I grabbed I grabbed Amy, we put her in there and she just was clueless. Clueless. It just clueless. it doesn't have the ability we to. Or like kissing her on the side of the face and she was just like, what's that other dog over there? They can't, <laughs> not can't a, conceive it. It's like yeah. this block. Uh-huh. And humans, we will have that sometimes, but we have this strange ability through these two ways to get past it. You know, think about the phonograph. When Thomas Edison created the phonograph, that's basically his ability, ability to record sound and play it back. He showed it to over a hundred people and every single one of them had the same reaction. Do you know what that was? No. Guess what, what that reacted as. Help me one more time. Say it again. Okay. So he it was the phonograph. So he would phonograph. record a sound like him talking or a yep. piano and then he would play it back. And what do you think people reacted like? Uh, dude, I don't know. Okay. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe, I mean, did they think it was actually there? They couldn't even hear it. They couldn't even hear no it? No sound to them. Nothing 
conceivable. I if they recorded an animal. They thought it was maybe an animal was nearby. Nothing. Nothing. They, they heard couldn't even hear nothing. It. And then he would, if he just said, this is a recording of my voice. This is a recording of a piano. All of a sudden they could hear it. Whoa. And it's our, it's think about the four minute mile. Purely no, one, yeah, no one can do unbreakable. It. Yeah. Now fucking high schoolers are hitting it. Yep. And it's, it's this, our ability to do that. And this is where I see where, where we can start to really define art. And art is where we are taking either our personal asymptote, or if you think about great art, cultural art, the cultural asymptote, and we are progressing it. We are breaking through that barrier. And that in my mind is what it means to be human. And that is what is asked of us and is our responsibility and opportunity, each and every one of us to break our own personal asymptotes and to pursue what art is. And it doesn't matter what the medium is, but it is you pushing that limit, breaking that what you think is possible of yourself and pushing through it. And you will never get that if you think of your life as something that isn't meaningful and you think of your life as nothing but a nine to five. Now, there are people who live in a nine to five and they are doing that. I was not one of them. I was living in purgatory. I was in neither happiness nor sadness. I was noncommittal. I was in a place I shouldn't have been not being an artist. And this leap for me was the opportunity to pursue art. And that, that changed my entire fucking mind. That combined with skydiving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh he, he just broke the fourth wall a third time yeah, yeah. we gotta you get help the four. Me there. You help me there. <laughs> i looked at your camera though instead of mine uh, <laughs> um man that that gets me fired up man like we have to live in purpose or else it's so draining and defeating and devastating to our heart to our mind and to our soul mm-hmm. We have to know that we are here to do something. Mm-hmm. And we are. We are. Even if it's, even if it's, and this is why I love Japanese culture so much. Because p- people in Japan revere someone who pushes that art as a ramen maker, the mm. same they do as a governor, the same they do as a swordsman, as a swords maker. It's all revered because they are pushing that personal asymptote. It doesn't matter what your thing is. There's no, this is one thing I've learned from my father, which is so fucking valuable is there's, there's every, every zero and one is infinity. There's bigger and smaller, but there's no better or worse. And when you treat someone, whether they're a fucking janitor or they're Elon Musk, if they're a janitor and they're pursuing their craft, they are beautiful. Yeah. They're changing the world. Yeah. Man, I, I love that so much because some of the times that I've learned or grown the most. And when I mean grown the most, I mean deepened the well of my soul for compassion or understanding or just acceptance and love. I had an opportunity in high school, went to this Catholic high school, and we always hosted the Special Olympic Games. And my mom's best friend, uh, her son, Caden, uh, had, had Down syndrome and I got to babysit him growing up and his three brothers. And I would always, they always loved me being the babysitter because I would wrestle and I could wear out, you know, three, four boys. And it was pretty epic, but seeing, seeing that maybe some people that don't understand, because I remember we'd go out sometimes and uh, you know, people would look or people would stare or people would judge or people would get weirded out, whether it was Caden or other, other kids that I'd hang out with. And 
that always turned me off. It's like, what? I mean, I knew what it felt like to get bullied or to feel different and whatever. But I just thought his smile, his unconditional love, his laugh. And then all of a sudden I get the opportunity in school that I didn't know I was going to have going to this school to be around hundreds of kids that were just like him that have you ever watched the show love on the spectrum Mm -mm. it's on netflix and it is the best show ever made and i mean that it is it broadens it expands your spectrum of like what human is and it's people on the autistic spectrum and it's a dating show mm-hmm. <laughs> of them finding love. That's amazing. And they have some of the most incredible conversations. They're so blunt and to the point and just like, nope, this isn't going to work. Sorry. And like, they just, they just know you're not the person for me and they leave yeah. or they find appreciation and gratitude and connection and love on the simplest things Mm. and, and sometimes the most meaningful things. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Whoa, like if I could be more like that, yeah, you know, looking and and that brought in my spectrum, the show Mm. saying, Oh man, I need to be more autistic. Mm -hmm. I need to be more like them yeah, because that is something so special and unique. Mm And then like what you said, simplifying it into whatever craft it is. Whatever it is. I mean, I love being a mixed martial artist Mm -hmm. because in that art form, you're trying to do something beautiful in the cage. Yeah. Trying to do something beautiful in the fight of life, um, in a physical fight. But then I try to relay that to the, the fight of life. Mm -hmm. Like how can, how can I do something beautiful in this fight for this person? that doesn't feel like they're seen mm-hmm. or doesn't feel like they're loved. How can we make that person feel loved and special and create something unique, sustainable because that matters yeah. to let them know that they matter no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, I love you, man. Uh, I'm with you, bro. what I think I'm just going to turn it over to you. I mean, I know I'm not setting it up with a question, <laughs> Uh, th- there is one thing that I do want to say after, yeah, I want after you all to be of able that to share. is I, uh, and even, even after all of that, you know, and, and really feeling like I am in alignment and things are like going super well. And, and since, you know, taking the smoothie leap, if anything, I've just stepped more and more and more and more and more and more into my path and into myself and cr- created and had the joy and privilege and, and grateful for the life that I've built. And, and with all of that, in all of the work I've done and all of the discipline, especially this year, I've approached and all of the de-patterning and like deprogramming and all of that gratitude and highs and good moments I've had in life. I found myself last week uh, at a very pivotal point where I was going to a conference that I had been preparing for since December. And I was excited for, and I had, you know, I was going to meet a bunch of friends and I felt like it was pivotal to the future that I want to build my Dharma, the thing I want to do that I think will be my full art, like the, the, my gift that I can give the Mm. shift I can make the thing that's most important to me in the world. And I was 
about to fly there and I'm going through the airport and everything's normal. And, and as we said in the beginning, my name is Sky King. I'm named after a pilot. My dad is a pilot. I grew up in planes. My mom is a pilot. Uh, your dad would go to sleep in planes so you could fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope this doesn't get any trouble. But <laughs> I, I, so there's two really funny stories around this. One, uh, when I was like less than a year old, I'd like jumped in my dad's plane, like messed with all the dials. And my uncle went to go fly it the next day and is stupid and didn't do a checklist, which is like number one rule of being a pilot and crashed the plane. And Oof. so like the... Uh, the you caused your uncle to crash yeah plane. and so it was like, the <laughs> well, front, like and him not doing the checklist exactly exactly no but like one of the like it was either like front page of our local newspaper or like some big big photo in the in the local newspaper was like baby crashes playing wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's you yeah that's me and it's yeah first time you made headlines yeah yeah and i was co-piloting planes like you know my dad would take a nap i would pilot like when i was in seventh grade like real real crazy shit uh child protect services please don't knock on his door. This is just a story. Don't come get you now. <laughs> 29 <laughs> yeah. years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, or are you 29? 29, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, been around planes the whole time, never never had issues. And I'm I'm sitting there just dialed in. Like I've been like, I the tiger, I'm focused, I'm ready. This is my time. This is, this is my time. This is, I'm going to go do this. Most prepared I feel like I'd ever been for something like this. And, and even I walk up and I walk up to this fake terminal then it says planet Arrakis is the next one which is the dune planet it's my planet i'm going on this journey of my favorite book i've read dune 12 times and that's like the the fake terminal next to my terminal so i'm sitting there <laughs> in this like little art exhibit that's saying it's going to dune going to Arrakis, and this little mind parasite just starts to infect me and it's just like you're trapped you, you, you'll be trapped. They're closing the doors and you can't escape. There's nowhere where you can run. Like, I got you now. You've always ran. I, you can't run. I have you. And I just felt like I, my heart started racing. Got up to like 130 beats per minute. And I'm just like, holy shit, I'm going to be trapped. I'm trapped. Like, I'm, I can't, I can't do this. Can't do this. And I go up to the pledge and I was like, I have family emergency. You can't get on the plane. And I don't go on the flight. Anxiety. You, anxiety. Just panic boom. attack. Boom. Pure panic. Full flight or fight. Fight or flight. And you know what? I'm like, I got this. Don't know what that was. Going to be fine. Brush it off. And I go. And I go back the next morning. You know, have a great Valentine's with Caroline. Everything's good. Because you were going to go early. I was going to go early. Going to go a day early. And then you had a great Valentine's Day. Had a great Valentine's. You know, it's like, cool. She was stoked. Like, cool. I get to stay another day. It's going to be fine. I got it. Go through my morning routine. Get a workout in. Head to the airport. Totally fine. Go through security cruising. Nothing's there. Totally fine. Getting on this plane. And then it just hits again. Same voice in my head, same thing, same just heartbeat is racing. And I just, and it's worse this time. And I just am like, I, I can't do this. I'm not going. And I just, you know, go to the flight attendant. I just cancel my flight. My, my bags were already in fucking Denver. <laughs> I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything. It was already in Denver from the day before. And I just am going down these this escalator just bawling and feeling like the biggest fucking loser because this was the most important thing. And I couldn't get my shit together enough to do that. And it was just the self-hatred and the disappointment and the failure and the negative self-talk and everything just flooded in. And, and it scared me. It scared me a lot because I was doing everything right. All of my habits were dialed, you know, breath work like everything i was and it and it and it got me and i was like i can't build this future i want to do i can't be the artist that i want to be i can't do all of these things and and that was last week 
and if, if there's anything I've learned about overcome or really it's it's a it's like overcoming overcoming and it's it's always it's always going to come back and this is one thing i've learned also from all the self-help books and all the entrepreneurs that i've studied is that it's never about fixing it really it's it's just about knowing that it will this too shall pass and just being able to be able to like sit with it and, you know, not be too hard on yourself and give yourself time and space and trying to find the stuff you need. Cause I obviously wasn't totally dialed and I wasn't, I wasn't resting in the way I needed to. Like there were some issues and I still need to figure out exactly what it was, but it also made me realize that this is just gonna, it's gonna happen. You know, it's, it's a part of me. It's a part of, of my life and, and there'll be good times and bad. And, and what, the opportunity for me is, is to give myself the space when I can help other people have the space when they need it and to endure and just to keep going because it is like a process of overcoming. So I just wanted to make sure that I said that because it kind of sounded like everything was in the past tense and I kind of thought it was. And, you know, I'm just being humble to the fact that it's, you know, it's a forever evolving tense, Jaren tense, I think is what it's called. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you for sharing that and, and me knowing a little bit more of the story because we had dinner before this. Um, you were sick right after that. Mm -hmm. You might've been fighting something off, but also you were getting maybe six hours of sleep instead of eight hours of sleep. And and one of the things that changed your life the most was sleep, sleep first. Sleep first. Like sleep more, drink water, eat good. Mm -hmm. uh, you were fasting, mm -hmm. um, uh, which you think helps your, yep. your immune system a lot. Helps my sleep. Helps your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one, thank you for sharing, bro, because that's real. That's being vulnerable. It's it's also like scary to share just also. I know because it's not that big of a deal, but at the same time, like I'm trying to convince people to give me millions of dollars. And that's <laughs> the thing that really it's like, how could somebody invest in me now? I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah. And I mean, I know that it's scary to share. Mm -hmm. Because you put yourself out there. But man, I've seen on the other side of sharing some of my darkest moments the most meaningful things happen in, in my life and the lives of others. You've met Chris Murphy. Mm -hmm. And if I wouldn't have shared about my suicide attempt when everyone else thought I was fucking rocking in life, yeah. having the best year ever and fight for the forgotten, accomplishing more than ever, like getting ready for a comeback fight, which still hasn't happened yet, but like good stuff happening. My relationship being in the best place it's ever been. If I, if I wouldn't have shared that, uh, you know, Chris, Chris would have jumped off a bridge yeah. in Brooklyn and not gotten a brand new smile. Well, you wouldn't have even had the opportunity to have a brand new smile yeah. and, and a brand new car now and managing a sober living house. And you know that story. And a lot of the listeners might be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but I want to say thank you. And also like, let you know that man, Mike Tyson talks about, I mean, one way that he says, you know, everyone has a game plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. This was a punch in the mouth. Yeah. But he also says, uh, just heard him the other day talking about, and I've been on a show and been able to cry with him. And, uh, you know, you're not a real fighter. You are not a real fighter until you've had your back on the mat, staring up at the lights, mm. like waking up after a defeat. Yeah. Then what do you do? Mm -hmm. Then what do you do? Because it's like, okay, now you can say I'm never doing that walk again to the cage or to the ring. 
I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm embarrassed. I won't ever come back from this. Or you can go back into the gym as soon as you can get back to the, to the basics and say something happened, but now I'm going to be stronger. Now I'm going to learn from that mistake. Uh, or not even a mistake. I'm going to learn from that circumstance, uh, that presented itself, you know, and I'm going to get better and things will come up. I'll create more space. I'll learn from it. I'll grow from it and, and, you know, get back to the habits and add in more that are even more helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, fine tune it even more. Like I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for you sharing because it's, it's real. I think, I think when people think that put someone on a pedestal, like they don't have these challenges, uh, that's playing pretend. Yeah. That's living in a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. It's propaganda. Yeah, dude, it is. Life hits you in, it kicks you in the teeth. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why this dude, I mean, this is stoic philosophy, right? Memento Mori. But I don't know if I told you, like, that's why this skull on my forearm is a rose on top of its head. Life is short. Make it something beautiful. Like, what are we going to do while we still have skin on our skull, blood in our veins, breath in our lungs, Mm. beating heart in our chest, thinking mind in our brain between our two ears. But this dude, he's been through it. He's missing his front two, three, maybe four teeth. Yeah. He's been kicked in the teeth. Mm -hmm. He's been through the fight of life because nobody's going to escape this earth like without a scar or a missing tooth or like a broken bone. Like I would rather, I mean, I want to treat my body right, Mm -hmm. but I'd rather be like going into the grave with like some, some battle wounds, yeah, some battle scars. For sure. Because if I go in there unscarred, like I didn't do what I was here for, Mm -hmm. you know? And so this is just a learning moment. Yep. A growing, uh, a lesson. It's not, it's not win or lose. It's win or learn, man. Mm. You've learned something about yourself yeah, and that you got to treat yourself with, with a little more compassion. Like it honestly, man, like I really think that moment this last week, you said on Monday, you're fired up. I was fired up. You're fired up. And I think that you were, your body, your higher self, your, your intuition, your heart, your soul on a soul level, you knew not yet. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just wait. Yeah. Like, like take a, take a step back, reevaluate game plan, charge up because you know, it's, it's going to be better than what you thought. You're, you're too bright. You got too good of a heart for you not to go out and do everything that you wanted to do. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. It's going to be better. Look, dude, uh, we're, we're, we're coming up on our time a little bit, but we got about five minutes and in closing, I stepped away from fighting on a winning streak and I literally was jobless for a year Mm. and everybody was like, what are you doing? Some of the people I love most friends and family said, started to say, you're a waste of talent just from a year of not fighting. Yeah. Some of the people I love the most were saying some of the most hurtful things for me. Mm. I had people, family, I had a girlfriend, uh, that I, I loved, uh, say, wait, 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 what are you going to do? You're going to start a charity, a nonprofit. You're going to be like some poor guy. That's not what I signed up for. I'm dating a fighter. Mm. I thought I was going to marry a a professional fighter. 
And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, like that was earth shattering to me. Yeah. Hearing I got with you because of what you do, mm-hmm. not because of who you are. Yeah. And at first that just rocked me. But then all of a sudden, like looking back at it, I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for making this decision easier. Because in many ways, that person loved, supported, and was incredible to me. But another way, like it, it, it illuminated, like ah, that's about what it looks like, not what it, not what it really is, or yeah. what I really, who I really am. Yeah. And like this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And so, man, know that this this moment, like you sharing, like I know that whoever gets to listen to this is going to be encouraged. Um. And I want you to feel encouraged, man, because it's, it takes, it takes courage and bravery to share what you just shared. Thank you. You know, and all it was, it wasn't a, think of it if it was a, I don't know if this is a saying or not, but this step back was, was really you grabbing a hold of two like big ass rubber band things and you stepping back so that you can just like propel forward Mm -hmm. further than you ever thought or imagined. Yeah. The gift you're going to give the world, man, it's going to be incredible. Thank you brother. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for, thank you for having this podcast. You know, like when we were thinking about the guest list, it was inspiring to think through the people that you wanted to have on, you know, there were, you know, some big names, but really it was like trying to find people who could like, let's try and pinpoint that moment so that when people listen, they feel empowered to overcome too. Because if you can reduce and help people understand that their heroes go through this, that you've shared that so vulnerably and helped so many people like Chris, which to, you know, be there on the ground floor with you thinking about who you want to have on how, how the story can then help people, how this can become that thing that helps people survive, continue, endure, get through, see the light at the end of the, end of the tunnel. Like, you know, I'm really, really grateful to be on here and I'm really grateful for you and for Amy and everything you guys have done. Hey man, that means a lot to me. Yeah. If anyone's listening to this and you know, I would, I would say that you sharing about therapy, me sharing about therapy and treatment and everything else, like the three, I might've said this on the last show, but like three of the most dangerous word words are, I got this. Yeah. And three of the most empowering words are I need help. Mm-hmm. And so talking to friends, family, the people that love you, at least one safe person, but therapy, uh, whatever tool, get yourself in some cold water, uh, get yourself a, a a walk in the sunlight for 20 minutes at least. Uh, get a workout in, eat some good food. That's so important. Get some good sleep. Um, and also let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd love you to leave us a review or share this out. Uh, send it to someone you love um, so that this can, that Sky story can, can bless the mess out of them. Yeah, man. Is it cool if I drop one real quick? Thing? Oh yeah. I would love to, where can people find you? Where can people listen? I would love that. Yeah. So I, uh, so what I'm working on right now in, in Bucky's terms is, is designing a better model, a better yes. business model. And this is going to be a revolution and it is a revolution. It's necessary. Yes. And if you are tired of being told to hate your neighbor, and if you want to cultivate awareness around the mechanisms that are having you do that then one small revolt you can do right now i think is come check out the podcast because i am trying to build something 
and I won't go into what it is now, but I need people who want to see something different out of their sense-making organisms to come and join this. And, you know, the, the, they're the easiest, the most important revolt you can do right now, actually, is just put your fucking phone down and not consume anything. But unfortunately, that's not realistic for the long term. So the next next good revolt, I would say, would be come check out my podcast, skmp.supercast.com. We break down we break down a lot of how the media systems are set up right now and then the vision we have to change it for the future. And there are a lot of things that we are not being told and shown. And I try to do a very fair, non-conspiracy theorist approach to it, very thoughtful, um, learning and growing, you know, not not the podcaster that you are, but working on it. And uh and like one of the one of the most exciting things and episodes I'm most proud of that I would love for you guys to check out is when I break down, I call it the real January 6th conspiracy. And mm-hmm. it's it's nothing to do with what happened in DC necessarily, but it's to do with what you didn't hear that happened on that day. And that day is the day that Hong Kong fell to the CCP. And it happened 26 years in advance and nobody heard anything. Mm-hmm. And so I break break it down how all of that happened and we continue to do episodes like that. So I'd love you guys to come check it out. Yeah, please do. I listened to that episode and uh, I think I was, uh, my thumbs were, were, were leaving smoke on the phone because I was <laughs> typing so fast to you. I was like, what? Oh my gosh. How did I never hear about this at all? Yeah. Science. I hadn't heard about it till you yeah. shared about it. And I was like, what? Yeah. How did nobody know? Yeah. And uh, so hopefully that's enough of a teaser to get people to go listen. Mm-hmm. Um. But man, uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on sometime. Uh, I mean, I would love to invite you back on Thank if you're you, willing man. to do it. Of course, of course, anytime. And uh, I love you. Oh, to end this podcast, I had one, uh, I would say a little special thing, uh, a note for you. Okay. I love you, Sky. I just can't wait to be a king. <laughs> That's from your Caroline. Hey, uh, hey from Caroline. Uh, the reference there. I just can't wait to be a king. Yeah. Uh, that was from Lion King, right? Yep. And uh, she loves you. And I love you. And Amy loves you. And I'm so grateful that she's helping me on this show. Well, I guess we're done. We're done. Thank you so much, man. Had yeah, a blast. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Please like, rate, review, subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you listen. We'd love to hear a review. We're doing giveaways of Amazon and uh, on it gift cards. And uh, also Matt Vincent, our last guest, was given a $100 gift card to his apparel brand, uh, Hate Brand Goods, which is pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, their shorts are incredible. That's sick. All right, man. Love you, man. Thank you so much for being here. Much love, brother. Appreciate you. Yep. Seize the day. Seize the day. <laughs> wow. I hope you liked that episode with Sky King. I'm sure I'm going to have him back on because he is just, to me personally, he's a legend. And he's going to do something so great in this world. I hope you're motivated to do something great as well. Making this world a better place. Leaving it better than you found it, better than you came into it. What is the contribution that you and only you can give to this planet, to this organic spaceship rotating around the sun? You're here for a reason, a unique reason, and finding that and pursuing it. I think that's what I got from Sky. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Yes, it's a crazy world, but it doesn't have to be anything grand either. You don't have to start a nonprofit. You can just make someone smile that you see that isn't smiling. You can make an impact in their life that's a meaningful difference by seeing them, 
I went out to Kirby Lane here in Austin, the original one on Kirby Lane. And shout out to my waitress, Stephanie. She had the sweetest, kindest voice. She had the sweetest eyes and she was so soft-spoken. And I was there with two of my friends, Chris Murphy, a friend of the show. And we just started to engage with her and talk to her and ask her how her day was going. And she goes, wow, we asked, I asked her her name first and this blew me away. I mean, Chris and I, that's why we leaned in and, and, and Garrett, our other friend leaned in and engaged with her more because she goes, wow, you want to know my name? My name's Stephanie. No one has asked me for weeks. I just try not to bother them. I'm like, you're not a bother. You're helping us. So, you know, we, we got to leave. We, we, we pulled together and we left an extra big tip. Not, that's not to pat myself on the back. Those are, those are those little moments where you can make a difference in somebody's life because just one life at a time that truly is con a contributing factor to making this world better. You don't have to, you can't do everything for everyone in this world, but you can do something for someone, right? You've had that done for you. I've had that done for me. And those little moments are those domino effects that literally can change someone's trajectory in life. And so thank you, Sky, for encouraging me. Uh, I love you, bro. And if you love this show, if you like this show, please review it on Spotify, Apple. That's an ask I have of you because that's going to help this show grow. Why? Because I want to hear from you. How can we make the show better? Are there better questions I can ask? Is there something else I can do? Is there someone you want to see on this show that I can reach out to and ask to be a guest? Do they have a powerful story of overcoming? Also, we're giving away a few things for people that leave us reviews that helps this show grow and grow into one of the most meaningful podcasts in the world. That's the goal. That's why we've begun. And we would love to reward some of you guys. We're going to be giving away some $25 gift cards to Amazon. We're going to be giving away some to onit.com uh, uh, on slash overcome. Thank you so much. I'm pulling up my phone right now because Caroline sent me something that really helped. She's actually Sky's fiance. And uh, it's a, a review of the show. She sent it over and I thought I'd review, uh, read one of those right now. Oh, uh, thank you, Harky. He said, you're the man. Love listening to Justin and his guest. Gives great perspective on all things in life. Love the episode with Matt Vincent. He uh, brought a whole new aspect uh, to making life count and the living in the now attitude that we all can use from time to time. Can't wait to hear about the bike trip. Harky 3080. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. You know, Matt Vincent has given away a hundred dollar gift card to someone that leaves us a review on Spotify or Apple. That's to hate brand goods. We're also going to give away a $25 gift card or a couple of them to on it. You can try yourself some alpha brain if you haven't done it yet and, and blessed your brain with a higher functioning brain. You, we were going to give you a $25 gift card for leaving us a review, helping us grow the show and also to Amazon because we know a lot of people in these times are using Amazon a lot more. So we want it to be helpful. So we're at least giving two of those away this month. So help us grow. Thank you so much. I'm going to read one more. It says awesome pod because uh, Caroline sent two. And it says came here because I've heard you on Joe Rogan experience and then saw you had Matt Vincent on and was hooked. Big fan of what you're doing. Keep it rolling. Thank you, Alex Capantons, K-A-P-A-N-T-A-S. I might have slaughtered that, but uh, his username is Jabroni, <laughs> 10591. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sky, for being on. Thank you, onit.com slash overcome for sponsoring the show, making it possible. And I really hope this episode blessed you, that it encouraged you. Sky's the man. Please share it out. If you post it on your social media, I will reshare it. Send us your thoughts uh, on Instagram, direct message, uh, and we'll make sure to get back to you. I will make sure to get back to you because I love your feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Especially in these early days of growing the show. I want to make sure that it adds value to your life. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up for yourself. Thank you for helping me with the best way that I can serve you and grow this show and make it better, make it more meaningful to you, because that's why I'm doing this, making it meaningful to me, my guest, and you who's listening. Thank you for being here. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.